turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to look here in 2 Corinthians in chapter 11 and verse 1. He says, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom you have not preached, we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which you have not accepted, you might well bear it with him. In other words, he was afraid they might listen to somebody who was teaching in error about a false gospel, a false spirit, and a false Christ. Because there is a lot of fake news in this world. And no doubt you have heard that mentioned quite a bit lately. I want you to notice that on the um, back where I have my picture, last year's picture, <laughs> I sense a wave of doubt sweeping across the room. But I wanted him to know that even though it was 25 years ago that I preached the sermon on the gospel, clarity of the gospel, it was done at the Sword of the Lord conference back in 1992, a couple years ago in South Texas. But what I also wanted you to see is what I said there that caught Dr. Curtis Hudson's eye, and he put it in the sword. You'll notice right beside my picture, there's a paragraph that says, there is a lot of difference in giving an invitation and giving the gospel. Some churches are very faithful to give an invitation, but not the gospel. They are two entirely different things. I may invite people to come to church so that I can explain the gospel to them, but asking them to come to church is not the gospel. So I made it very clear when I preached that sermon, and it was about lordship salvation, about repentance, Jesus into your heart, a lot of the terminologies that people use all the time. And so the title of the sermon, if you'll look there, while the gospel of perfection requires extreme vetting from fake news. I thought that had a good ring to it. When I read that part, they did chuckle a little bit. And I says, it's so easy for us today to see what somebody says, and then we hear the commentators who tell us what they really meant. And then they change it, and they present fake news. It is not really what he said or even what he meant. A lot of people just make up things. Well, that's considered by Donald Trump to be fake news. So it seems like there's a lot of people talking about this fake news. But is it possible that preachers can be guilty of presenting fake news? In other words, we're supposed to give the good news. The good news is the true news. As we even teach the Bible... It's the word of truth. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. So we're to teach truth, what the book says. Is it possible that sometimes along the way we can be guilty of 
adding ingredients to the message that's already done. God just wants us to serve it. But we think we've got to doctor it up a little bit. Now, I love eggs, but I also like salt and pepper on my eggs. Now, the cook's already done cooked the eggs, but I like to spice it up a little bit more. And as you go through life, your life is blob, but sometimes God puts a little salt and pepper in life and spice it up a little bit. You know, with a little problem here and a little problem there and a little good time here and a little good time there. So our lives are, you know, well, there's ingredients that goes into our life. Do you know and believe that God knows what he's trying to make out of your life? And so he knows what ingredients to put into your life. We don't always like those ingredients, but God knows what we need. Ah, you need a dab of this. Now you need a little dab of that. And sometimes we don't like that mouthful of lard or a mouthful of baking soda or a mouthful of salt or a mouthful of flour. What if he gave it to you just individually like that? But see, God knows that he got to have the right ingredients. You stir it up, and lo and behold, you can make something wonderful, you know, like a, a cake. But individually, some of those things don't taste so good. Well, sometimes preachers may be guilty of fake news. Adding to something, God says, don't add to, no, take away from him. So my goal was to try to explain some of those things that I believe are very, very important. I listened as one preacher got up there and he preached. And he was a big man. And he represented the Chick publication. Anybody ever heard of Chick publications? Well, most of you have. But in Chick publications, a lot of times in the back and talk about you've got to repent, turn from your sins. And that's part of their gospel. Well, I'm sitting there knowing what I'm going to be speaking on. And he's speaking on ahead of me. And he's talking about, we need to get back to good old-fashioned repentance. And you got to preach repentance, and we're not doing enough of it today. And all over the auditorium, amen, brother, amen, amen. Preach on, preach on. I'm thinking to myself, now what are they going to say when I start? <laughs> so I'm sitting there, you know, wondering. And I went back to the back, and I noticed some of the material that they had that was put out by the Fundamental Baptist Publication. And I knew it had to be doctrinally sound. So I always want to find out, well, what do they say you have to do to be saved, to go to heaven? So I read the prayer for salvation. Dear God, I know I have sinned against you and am worthy of death, but I know that the Lord Jesus died for my sins on the cross, that he rose from the dead to be my Lord and Savior. Right now, dear God, I want to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my heart, save my soul, and take away all my sins. Make me a child of yours and become the ruler of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, a normal person, most people read that and say, I don't see anything wrong with that. When I read that, things go off. Because I'm always what we call extreme vetting. When you know what the truth is, you can detect error. If you don't really know the truth, you can't detect the error. And so when it starts saying you've got to do this or do this and so forth, I said, no, no, wait, 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 wait. That's not clear. Now, let me just give you for an example. I want to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my heart. If I was to say chapter and verse, there is no chapter and verse. You can't prove it. Christ indwelling you is the result of you trusting him. 
And you can ask for the results all your life and not get the result. You have to trust Him as your Savior, believing He paid for your sins. When you're dependent upon Him to take you to heaven, Him indwelling you is the result. So you can ask Jesus to come into your heart, your liver, your lungs, your eyeball. It don't matter where you ask Him to come. That doesn't mean you're going to get the results of salvation. And it's not clear. You have little children. Ask Jesus to come into your heart. He stands at your heart door. And He can't come in because it's... See, the door is locked on the inside. You have to undo the latch. I've heard little kids cry because they don't know how to undo the latch. They don't know how to open the door. Well, that's a verse that's precious, but it's talking to the Christians in the book of uh, Revelation in chapter 3. When he talks about, I stand at the door and knock. That's not to the lost man, it's to the Christian. It's not about how to be saved. So you don't take verses out of context. See, remember this. And I wrote this little statement down. Look there in the middle of the page at that one paragraph I wrote. Now listen, you've got to look at it. We may all agree on the content or ingredients that go into salvation, service, and the spiritual life. But there is no doubt we have great diversity in presenting the ingredients in the right or proper sequence. Truth presented to the wrong subject becomes fake news. Things that belong to the Christian... If I take that out of its context and apply that to the lost man, then it becomes fake news. He said, what do you, what do you mean? Well, I'll show you this in a little bit, but just kind of give you a little heads up on it. If I tell a man, you need to depart from iniquity. Well, that's a statement that's actually in the Bible. But if I take that verse that applies to the Christian, depart from iniquity, and apply it to the lost man, now it's fake news. Because the lost man don't have to do that. God doesn't ask the lost man to turn from his sins to be saved. Why? It's impossible. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. So, another statement. And become the ruler of my life. What do you mean by ruler of my life? Is that a promise that if you will rule me, I will serve you? I am promising to obey your leadership, your master. You're the Lord of my life. Does a person to be saved have to trust him as the Lord, the master of his life, and promise that he's going to serve the master? That's works for salvation. See, it doesn't belong. You see, it seems simple, but yet it's the difference between heaven and hell, and it makes the difference whether or not is a person trusting Christ, or is he going to trust the service that he gives to the ruler? So I thought I'll just look a little further. And I read this before I was going to speak. And the people there, and they got books all over, and they all say pretty much the same thing. So their representative is there for this. Now, what I'm going to speak on is going to be contrary to what they're teaching. And I've already heard, amen, preach on, right on, brother. And I'm sitting there, oh, me, oh, me, oh, me. And so... um, You must accept Romans 10, 9, and 13. Here's what it says. This is how to be saved. Confession with the mouth that Jesus will be your Lord, your boss, your master. Now, is that what you have to do to be saved? Because it's a promise to serve. You do not get saved promising God you're going to serve him. Because if you don't serve him, then you have every right to question your salvation. 
You see, salvation, God saving you, is not because you promise to stop anything, turn from your sin, or because you promise to live for God. Otherwise, your salvation depends upon you now examining your life to see whether or not do you have the evidences that prove you really did get saved. When I made one statement, I didn't hear one amen. When I made the statement, there is absolutely no evidence that a man is saved. You right now do not know that I'm saved. True? Amen. See, I've got a few amens in here. You don't know that I'm saved. What, don't I go to church? Don't I preach the Bible? Don't I pray? Don't I give? Don't I do I do I do? Well, yeah, but that doesn't. Why? Because there's one ingredient. If you didn't trust Christ as your Savior, you're still lost as a hound dog on the end of a soup bone. You're only saved if you trusted Christ as your Savior. Born into God's family by faith and faith alone. Not by your work. Not of works. I wonder what part of not of works people understand. Not of works. What does that mean in the Greek? Not of works. Then he says, believe in your heart, not head. That is, ask Jesus to come into your heart and save your soul. And it says in the parenthesis, not your head. Now that might sound like that's simple to understand. Believe it in your heart, not your head. Okay, now, where is this heart? If it's not my head, and I don't believe in my head, then where is this heart that I'm supposed to believe with? Well, you're talking about your heart. Really? What does that thing do? It pumps blood through your body. I heard one famous Baptist preacher says some people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. Because they believe it in their head, but not their heart. Now, isn't that clear as a glass of mud? How do you know when you're separating the two? All I know is that I've got one brain and I think with it. So if I'm going to believe something, well, you've got to believe it in your heart, not your head. Explain that to somebody. See, it's not clear. It's muddy. It's confusion. And it's not what the Bible says. In closing, at this time, ask the lost person to get on his knees, bow his head, and pray this prayer. So anyway, he goes into that. Now, the man that wrote this for this Baptist publication, name is Dr. Manus. He went to Moody Bible Institute, Graham Bible College, Bob Jones University, Fundamental Baptist College, Heritage Baptist University, and he is also the founder of High Street Christian Academy and founder of the Fundamental Baptist College. Now, is that clear? No, that's not clear. But, amen. Preach on, brother. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, me. <laughs> now, do I change my message or do I just go ahead and say what I should say? Now, you know that I'm a compromiser. <laughs> Here are some of the points that I made at the meeting. Number one, you cannot know you're going to heaven until you know you cannot go to hell. If a man must prove he is saved by the life he lives, exactly when is he saved? Am I saved now? Or am I saved when I prove it by my life? Or when can I know that I'm saved? Do I have to wait till I see evidences? Or am I saved now? That's confusion. I knew I was saved the day I trusted Christ as my Savior. I don't have any questions and doubts because it doesn't depend upon me. It depends upon God's Word being true. 
And God's word has not changed, so my faith hasn't changed. I've known for 56 and a half years that I have eternal life, and I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. Number two, if a lost man stops his smoking and drinking, is he saved? So this is what I did. So a lot of the people there, I said, now let's just say all oh, these people over here are lost. I says, if they quit their drinking and smoking, does that mean they're saved? And they all said, no. I said, another question. If a lost man starts going to church and reading his Bible, does that prove he is saved? The answer, no. So if the answer is no and it doesn't prove he's saved, why are some preachers telling people they have to stop their sins to be saved? If it didn't save you, and if it doesn't save, why tell people to do something that has nothing to do with being saved? A lost man does not have to promise to stop his sins in order for God to save him. And when we got onto the subject of repentance, I um, used this verse. Read, look here in your Bible, 2 Timothy 2.19. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Look what he says now. This is to the Christian. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, that's those who believe. What are they supposed to do? Depart from iniquity. When does God want us to turn from sin? Before we're saved or after we're saved? After we're saved. So why then tell people to turn from their sins to be saved? It's after you're saved God wants you to turn from sin. You see, to turn from sin takes power steering, and they don't have the power to do it. And then once you get saved, if you don't turn from sin, you're still saved. That's what's good about it. But see, whenever you add things to it, it becomes fake news. The gospel then is not this good news. It is not good news to tell a lost man you've got to be good to go to heaven. It's not good news to tell him you've got to start living for Christ to go to heaven. That's bad news. What if you told somebody, look, it's free, and he wanted to show you how much he loved you. He would give it to you as a gift, and he'll never take it away from you. And you can know right now you're going to heaven. Has nothing to do with this life. It has nothing to do with you keeping it, nor, or how do you got to change? Nothing. It's free. So anyway, I had some fun. So I even asked the preachers a question. This is what I did. Number six, have any of you preachers sinned after you were saved? I asked the preachers a question. I said, have any of y'all sinned since you've been saved? And everybody's nodding their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, now, is it true? Maybe I should ask the, your wives this question. Do you commit the same sins over and over again? Do you commit the same sins over and over again? And most of them said, yes. I asked, they were at least I was being honest. I said, so then it's true that you have habitually been practicing sin. I said, now let's take our Bible and turn to the book of 1 John. And chapter 3. And I says, and you'll notice that many translations, and even in Schofield Reference Bible, the margin says that you don't practice sin. So well, that means you don't practice sin. And I said, every one of you just admitted you practice sin. But it says this in 1 John chapter 3. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 
First John chapter 3 and look in verse 9. In verse 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. I says, have any of you sinned? Yes. And do you practice sin? Habitually, yes. <laughs> they didn't know I was setting them up. <laughs> I says, now, most people say that that word right there, commit, means you will not practice sin. You will habitually commit the same sins. I says, most of us, we don't have to practice sin. We're experts at it. <laughs> so when he says here, there's two Greek words. One is poeo and the other one is prazo. Prazo, think of practice. Poeo means not commit one single act of sin. And so whenever you look up the word prazo, it says to habitually commit sin. But then it has another little line that says, not like the word poeo, which means one single act. So the Bible says here, whosoever is born of God does not practice sin. No, it means you cannot commit one single act of sin. I said, so this is even worse than practice. Then he says, for his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. The reason he can't sin is because he's born of God. I said, it's got to be one way or the other. If it means practice, I says, you all are guilty. And it means you're not born of God. I said, so there's got to be another meaning to it. And I says, and there is. So then I went to the two natures. Y'all ever seen me do that before? Flesh birth, born of the flesh. Sinful nature, and we all sin. We're all going to die. We cannot improve our sinful nature. You can't improve it. You may try to curb it and control it, but the nature, you cannot improve that nature. And we all sin. And God says, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. So, because we've all sinned, we all die. Wage of sin is death. That's why we all die. I says, when you trust Christ as your Savior, God's not saving this old man. So most people get it all mixed up because they think, God's saving this old man. No, God's not saving this old man. You see... If he's saving this old man and giving you this new nature and taking away the old one, that means the old nature has been eradicated. And that's why some preachers will say, well, if you're really saved, you're not going to want to go out here and do all those bad things anymore. And I says, that's fake news. It's not real news. That's fake news. That's not the truth. I said, so when you trusted Christ as your Savior, God didn't touch this one. He gave you a new birth. Born again. You see... You have to be born again, means born from above without a sinful nature. If I was born a thousand times down here, and every time I was born I had a sinful nature, the last one is not any better than the first one. Still the same result. A person born today is just as sinful as the man that came out of the Garden of Eden. He has a sinful nature, same thing. It hasn't changed. Now, when you trust Christ as your Savior, He gives you a new birth. This is the one that's born of God. This one's born of God, born without a sinful nature. It can't sin. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. If it cannot sin, it cannot die. And if it cannot die, how long will you be a child of God? Forever and ever. See, I've been born twice. 
And so whenever you trusted Christ as your Savior, God gave you this new birth. So I went through and I explained this because I wanted the people to really understand it. Now, look at the next statement. Number seven, the truth is there is not one preacher here that has been saved because he turned from sin. You say, you didn't say that. Yes, I did. Why? Because turning from sin doesn't save you. So that means that nobody here has been saved because they turned from sin. It had nothing to do with your salvation. If a man's a, he smokes and drinks and runs around, he got to stop all that before God will save him. Chapter and verse, not in the Bible. We're all sinners and we all deserve to go to hell. So if God saves anybody, he has to do it by grace. So everybody's saved the same way. Now, what about the man who doesn't have, he doesn't drink, smoke, and dip and chew? You say, there's nobody like that. Oh, oh, oh not so fast, Charlie. I'm over 75 now. I have never in my life ever sworn a cuss word. Never. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never had a drink of strong drink. Never in my life. You say, well, why not? Because I was always afraid I might like it. And if I like it, I might not be able to quit it. So that means I'm saved, right? No, I can still go to hell. Not now, because I trusted Christ as my Savior. So cleaning up your life is not going to get you to heaven. The Bible says, God hath commanded all men everywhere to repent. Change your mind. Change your mind that you cannot save yourself and you'll trust Christ as your Savior. That's what repent means. Change your mind. The Bible talks in many places how that God repented. Does that mean God turned from his sins? No. All the way through the Gospel of John, which we use as our heaven track, the word repent is not even found. And yet it's the clearest book in the whole Bible that tells how man's to be saved, born again. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Where did you hear repentance mentioned? It isn't. It's not there. But He says, whosoever believeth. You see, if a man's an unbeliever, and he believes, he's repented. He's changed his mind. After a man is saved, yes, God has many things He wants His children to do, but if we get things out of sequence, then it doesn't work. So now get this. I want you to Look here at the next statement. In number eight, why would we ask a lost man to do what we saints of 50 years cannot do and haven't done? Do I have any sins? No. Are you going to actually sit there and tell me that I'm still sinning? That I still make mistakes and do things wrong? And until the day I die, yes. But now, it's the old man that's going to go to the grave. And absent from this body, present with the Lord. Without this new birth, when you die, you are separated from God in a literal fire burning hell. But see, I can't be separated from God because, see, my new birth is as righteous, as perfect as God. See, you have to be perfect to go to heaven. My new birth is perfect. My old one is no. So as I live my life, there will be times when you'll see the flesh. And there might be times when you'll say, ah, he's walking in the Spirit. If I walked in the Spirit, does that mean this one don't exist? No, it still exists. If I walk in the flesh, I mean live like the devil, does that mean this one don't exist? It's still there. But a spiritual birth, you can't see the spiritual fruit sometimes. So that's why I told him, I said, forget the evidences of salvation. The only reason that I know that I'm saved 
is because I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and upon the authority of God's word, God says, he that believeth in me hath everlasting life. That's how I know I'm saved. And the last 56 years has not added to my security. I'm secure because the word of God says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may what? Know that you have eternal life. You can know you have eternal life. It's written to those who believe. Look at your life and see whether you're really saved or not. Doesn't say that. That becomes fake news. I did ask him this question. And I want you to look at it. Look in Romans in chapter 12. The book of Romans and chapter 12. I says, now stop and think about it. If we took Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and applied it to the lost man, we would be asking him to do something he cannot do. So notice what it says in verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. When he says brethren, do you think he's talking to lost people or saved people? Saved people. What's he asking these saved people to do? That ye present your what? Your bodies, get this, a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, what's that next word? Service. You see, you don't ask a lost man to serve. That makes his salvation dependent upon his service. And if he doesn't serve, then he's not saved. This is talking to the believer, those who've already trusted Christ as Savior. So now God is asking the saved man, to present his body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Now, he's not doing it to be saved. He's already saved. He's already a believer. You see, if you apply this to the lost man, it's an ingredient that's out of place. It doesn't belong there. So, are there preachers who want people to live godly? Yes. Is there preachers who want people to stop their sins? Yes. We all agree to that. It's just that you got it out of sequence. You have to wait till they become a saved man. Then as a saved man, then you tell a, a saved man you should turn from iniquity. You tell a saved man you should present your body as a living sacrifice. You take those out of place and apply it to the lost man, then you're requiring him to do something that God says belongs to the child of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Can you follow what I'm saying? This means yes, this means no. <laughs> this is a heaven and hell issue. So many preachers are trying to get people to clean up their lives. No, it's just like going fishing. We catch them, he clean them. Now, look in verse 2. This is not talking to the lost man. Because if it was talking to the lost man, he should have already done this. But it's not automatic. After you are saved, God says this in verse 2, Be not conformed to this world. Is it the will of God for you not to be conformed to this world? That's to the child of God. But if you apply it to the lost man, you've asked him to do something that's impossible. He can't live it. Most Christians won't live it. You can have eternal life and know that you're going to heaven when you die and go out those doors and live like the devil. Are you still saved? Yes. How you live is not the guarantee of whether you're saved or not. 
If you are saved, you're saved. You have eternal life. God, in his word, beseeches us in view of what he's done for us. He pleads with us as his children. Don't be like this world. He says, and be transformed. Get that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or discover what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, that's for the Christian and his Christian life. But you get that out of sequence and it doesn't belong there. So a lot of preachers, meaning well, have taken things that belong to the believer and put it to the lost man. And it confuses them. Because then they begin to question whether or not, well, I don't know if I'm really saved. Well, why not? Well, I used to smoke and I gave it up to get saved and now I'm smoking again. So that must mean I really didn't get saved. Who told them that lie? Well, I used to drink and then I got saved and I find myself, I've, I've gone back to drinking. Some people say, well, that's a sign you weren't really saved. The drinking had nothing to do with it. It's a zero. It has no effect. You're saved because did you trust Christ as your Savior? Do you believe that when he died, he died on that cross and paid for your sins? And you're trusting him and him alone as your only hope to get to heaven? This is so important, and I wish everybody would understand that. Now, I want you to look there in the book of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew and chapter 7. It was interesting when I heard one preacher say, Well, you know, over there in Matthew chapter 7, when it talks about, Behold, I stand, he says, And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not? He said, Now, you know, that's, that's talking to Christians. But they didn't really serve the Lord with all they have. You know, they dabbled in it, but didn't give it all they had. I'm sitting there thinking, Oh, my goodness. That stinks to high heaven. That is not what it says. But it's because somebody don't know how to explain it. You see, you use the clarity of the gospel to understand the complicated scriptures. And then it becomes clear. Look what he says here. Matthew chapter 7. It says in verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And few there be which go in thereat. Did I read it right? Always check the preacher. Check the book. Did I read it right? I did not read it right. I gave you fake news. The truth is, many there be which go in thereat. Many people are on the broad way, on the way to destruction. Many, not few, many. Then notice the next verse, 14. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And that's eternal life. And notice the next words. And few that be that find it. In other words, it looks like there's more people going to hell than going to heaven. I mean, just looking at it. Why so many people on the broad way going the wrong way? And few that really find it, that really see it. Our churches are filled with people that are trying to earn their way to heaven by their good deeds. Because somebody told them, you're saved by your word. Now, they didn't use those words. They just told you, you've got to stop your sins. And you've got to promise that you're going to serve God. And so they go to church. That's good. Read the Bible. Pray. Give money. All these wonderful things that they can do. And they try to watch all the things. And so, well, I know I've been good a lot longer than I've been bad. 
Or my good outweighs my bad. And so you wait to find out, well, where are you going to die? Well, I, I, heaven, I hope. Now, if you had asked me the question, Yankee, where are you going to die? Heaven. There's no doubt. There's no question. Not at all. Why? I couldn't go to hell if I tried. I haven't tried. But I can't go to hell. How come I can't go to hell? I don't have any sins to pay for. Christ died for my sins. Five most precious words in the whole Bible. He paid for my sins. Why? So that I wouldn't have to pay for them. If he paid for my sins, why should I have to go to hell and pay for my sins? All he asked me to do was, would you believe I did that for you? I did that for you. And that's why he said, whosoever believeth, whosoever believeth, he that believeth, he that believeth. It's by faith and faith alone. Me believing, he loved me that much, he paid for my sins so that I wouldn't have to go to hell. Why do I want to serve him? Because why not serve a person who loves me that much? I want to please him. But see, I'm not doing it to go to heaven. I'm doing it because I'm going there. I'm already going there. I'm not doing it to get there. Now look what he says here. In verse 15, he says this, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. And he says, Inwardly they are ravening wolves. A false prophet has a false what? False message. And so many people believe the false message. They believe in fake news. They don't believe the truth. They're not listening to the truth. It's free. Anybody who adds to it, it's a false message. It's fake news. A majority of churches, I believe, are filled with people who are believing this fake news because there's preachers that don't get it. They mean well. They may be sincere. But notice what it says. He used an illustration of two trees. In verse 17, Even though every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, and a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit, this tree cannot bring forth good fruit. This tree cannot bring forth bad fruit. They're separate. You get it? I didn't make up this thing. It's right there in the book. So that's why he says there is a difference. Now in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, Lord are words that refer to lordship. Master, servant to the master. Lord, Lord. Guess what he said? shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. In other words, to go to heaven, you've got to do what the Father said to do to go to heaven. The Lord in heaven never said, do many wonderful works, earn your way to heaven, cast out devils, speak in tongues, do this miracle. God never said do those things in order to have eternal life, to get into heaven. There's now verses in the Bible that says that. So there are people here that have committed their life to Christ. They're serving God. They're doing all these good deeds. But look what it says in verse 22. Many, see that word many? Many, on the way to destruction, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not, get what they, look what they did. They prophesied in their name. That's not bad. Cast out devils. That's not bad. Didn't wonderful work. Well, that's not bad. So they committed their life to God. We don't know how long they did it. But they did it believing that they were going to get in because they did it. So they're referring to the things that they did. So here's lost people who committed their life to God and are going to hell. Look what he says in verse 23. 
Then will I profess unto them, I, what? Never knew you. Well, they used to be saved, but they weren't saved anymore. No, no, he said, I never knew you. They were not believers. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. To trust in your good works is a great and grievous sin. Going to church and giving money, living a good life, is a wicked, wicked thing when you're trusting in it to get you to heaven. Especially when the God of all creation has sent his son into the world to die on the cross, to pay for your sins, to give you as a free gift, eternal life, and then you try to offer him a quarter for it. Offer him your good work for it. Can you cast your total care upon him and him alone and not trust in any of your good works to help you get to heaven? Many people are doing good deeds. Look at it. That's why I showed you that verse while ago in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19 where it says, We have this seal, this foundation. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Here He says, I never knew you. The ones that He knows are those who have been born into His family. All of God's children get to go to heaven. All the rest of them don't get to go. Any man, regardless of how good he lives cannot earn his way to heaven. And think about this. The most wicked man in this world can trust Christ as Savior and go to heaven. And the most godliest person who can live as godly as he can, if he doesn't trust Christ, he goes to hell. He said, that's not fair. For by grace are you saved, God will save everybody the same way. You either trust Christ as your Savior or you don't get to go. Down to the bottom of the page. If the gospel we preach does not make one perfect immediately upon the new birth from above, it is totally ineffective in getting us to heaven. You see, if you have to be perfect to go to heaven, then there's whatever that message is that tells us how to go to heaven has to make you perfect because heaven is a perfect place. What if you died five minutes after you trust the Lord? Whatever you heard, whatever you believe must make you perfect, good to go. And you don't have time to judge by your life whether or not was I really saved or not. You're really saved if you put your faith in Christ. Believing that when he died, he died for you. You see, when I was 18 years old, sitting in a little old living room in Athens, Georgia, when this was explained to me for the first time, and I trusted Christ as my Savior at that moment, God gave me a new birth. I was born from above. This one is perfect. And if the gospel we preach doesn't make a man perfect, it's no good. If you add works to the gospel of grace, it can't save him. It's by grace or not at all. It's free, not at all. Well, I'll be good just in case. Can't have it that way. Now you set term limits on it, and that won't last very long. So when you trust Christ as your Savior, he gives you as a free gift everlasting life. You become a child of God, and you're good to go. From the very moment you trusted the Lord, and nothing this old man does can change this. It's the only way you can know that you're going to heaven. I hope that that makes that clear. You say, how was it received? I knew you was going to ask that. When I began to get a little bit further on into it and explaining the things, and I hit on the repentance thing and how that repent does not mean turn from your sins, and how that God wants us as his children. Now says, now, many of us 
or would be guilty of putting the ingredients in the wrong place at the wrong time. There are certain things, yes, God says to the lost. And the same God says to the Christian. You get those out of sequence, and it's fake news. And you'd be surprised how many of those preachers started saying, amen, 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 all over. I think they saw it. And I had one man come up to me, and he put his hand on my shoulders <laughs> afterwards. He says, that was fantastic. That was awesome. He says, that makes sense. He says, don't worry about what anybody else says. And then I had other ones that came up to me. They didn't do it in a group where everybody knows what they said. They come up to me and said, that was great. I really appreciated that. And so um, it could be very interesting. But you don't compromise the gospel regardless of who they may be. I'm not an expert on all the things, but I know how to go to heaven. And I know what the gospel is. I know what the gospel is not. Nobody died for me except Jesus Christ. I don't owe any man any loyalty, only to the Lord. Because of who he is and what he's done for me, let her rip. I'm going to hold to what I believe this book says. And you'd be surprised how it gives you confidence when you know you're right. And it gives you boldness. And you don't have to waver. Just speak the truth and enjoy the ride. Isn't this exciting? This gets so exciting. This hand represent you and me. And I went through this. I said, now let me show you how I present the gospel. This hand represent you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But God wants us to go to heaven, but to go to heaven, we've got to be perfect, and nobody's perfect. And because we're not perfect, we can't go. Because of sin, we can't get in. And God says you cannot earn eternal life. All of our good deeds will never pay for sin because the way of sin is death. You have to die. God didn't ask us to turn from sin. He says you've got to die to pay for sin. Good works don't pay for it. You've got to die. And we're all going to die. But the problem is we don't want to die. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Came into this world because he loves us. Now he had no sin. He didn't have to die. But because he loved us and our sin separates us from him. Jesus Christ took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross. He came back from the dead. And he says the only thing we have to do to go to heaven, the only thing we have to do is to believe that he did it for us. And he puts this payment to my account. I've got a payment for my sins. That's why I can't go to hell. My sins are paid for. He paid for all of my sins, not most of them. All of them. When he died on that cross 2,000 years ago, all of my sins were in the future. And he paid for all of them. The ones I haven't done yet, he's already paid. They're all paid. There's enough in escrow account to cover for whatever I do from here on in. He said, that's just giving people a license to sin. Believe however you want to. That doesn't change the fact he died for all of my sins. And that he loves me that much and he'll give it to me as a gift. And because he loves me that much, you know what I want to do? Because I don't have to. I want to serve him with all my heart. I want to live as holy, as godly as I possibly can. Why? Because I don't have to. If I had to do it, it'd make me a hypocrite. And I have no desire to be a hypocrite. I'm a sinner. Saved by grace. Because of what he did on the cross for me. And he paid for all of my sin. He did it for you too. The only thing you have to do to go to heaven is where you believe he did it for you. When I believed it, he gave 
Eternal life. If you believe it, he'll give you eternal life. If it's eternal life, how long would it last? If it lasts forever and all your sins are paid, where are you going to go when you die? Can you know you're going to heaven before you die? Yes. Best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for all you do for us and for the privilege you give us. We also pray, Lord, for those that are watching by internet, that right where they are, just the best in the have by faith alone, believing that you died and paid for their sins, you give them eternal life. We also pray, Lord, that you'll bless in the service tonight and these young people, and we just pray your wall of protection around them and help them to guard their thoughts and to look to you and to trust you, and we thank you for all that you do for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.